everybody, Kendra the Vet Tech here, and today we're going to talk about being an ICU veterinary technician. So here with me today, I have Maggie, and she is an ICU RVT registered veterinary technician. So welcome, Maggie. We're so excited to have you here today and talk about this little corner of vet tech careers. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited. Like she said, my name is Maggie. I am an RVT in the state of Kansas. Um, I've been an RVT for about four years, um, and I've been in the vet, uh, veterinary field for, for much longer, a few years longer than that. Graduated from Metropolitan Community College Maplewoods in 2016. And yeah, I've just been cruising on with uh, vet med ever since, and it, I love it. Cool. Did you go straight into ICU medicine after you graduated or did you take a little stop along the way or what brought you into being an ICU tech? Yeah. So I actually um, started my, my whole career up, up until ICU has been in general practice. I started my very first job. I was 15 and I was kennel staff and I'm 31 now. Well, that's awesome. (laughs) We have an episode coming up later about roles in veterinary medicine. And that's definitely going to be brought up that a lot of people start as the pooper scooper kennel assistant in the back. So that's cool to hear you did that too. Oh yeah. I mean, that was my first job. That's the only job I've like ever wanted to have is, <laughs> is that when I wasn't doing vet med stuff, I was like, okay, well, how can I get into like, do something on the side that's vet med? So yeah. So I was in general practice for a while. Um, I graduated, got licensed and I, I was in general practice for a couple years after school, after I graduated school. And then I, you know, decided like I have always been somebody who's just a fascinated so much by by the medicine you know sp- uh, specifically the the medicine because there's so much so much more to vet med than just the medicine you know yeah. um and you know I kind of got that itch of I kind of want some more action I want a little bit more you know I want to be able to take these skills that I use that I learned in school and just like take it up like 10 notches and see what I can do um, so I actually left my general practice and, um, got a job at the, uh, one of our local emergency clinics. And when I was interviewing, like, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. And they asked, well, you know, they asked me what I wanted to do specifically with them. And I said, well, you know, whatever you have available, I just put me in it because I want to start learning. <laughs> I, I don't care where I start. I just want to go. And they said, well, you know, we have an opening for a daytime ICU. I said, all right, great. Let's do it. Um, so I didn't have any experience going in, um, with emergency specifically or ICU specifically, but when I got there, you know, everybody did a great job of, of training me and taking care of me and answering questions and, you know, was people were very supportive and continue to be so, so. Well, that's awesome to hear about the ER ICU culture, because I do see lots of questions and fears via a lot of social media, like, oh, it's my first day. I don't have any experience. I'm scared to death. So that's great to hear that within that culture, they, they know that you're going to have a lot of questions and need a lot of support going into something like this. So you mentioned that you work day shift or you did work day shift. Do you still work during the day or what I do? I still I still work day shift and it depends on the week. Sometimes I do four 10 hour shifts and then sometimes I do five, eight hour shifts. It just depends. It kind of flip flops every week. 
So I'm there like seven until mid afternoon, 7am to mid afternoon. And so I get to see kind of, I come in and the overnight technicians are the ones who give me rounds on the ICU patients. And then I give rounds to like the evening technicians at the end of my shift. And so it's, I'm that kind of link, link in the chain of of patient care. It assures continuity of care for those guys when it's absolutely critical. Oh my gosh. It's, I think one of the biggest, absolute biggest, most important things that you can do in the ICU, especially is communicate just straight up clear, concise, you know, accurate communication can be the difference in life and death, like genuinely. So it's, I don't remember (laughs) what the point was, but yeah. yeah. Well, we were talking about, you know, that you work day shift and so making sure that we're doing rounds. And that was kind of where, where I wanted to go with this next was how your shift looks for you. You know, how many people are working with you, how, how many other technicians, what your patient to technician ratio is. So some of those breakdowns for what your day-to-day looks like as an ICU technician. Yeah. So on a typical day, you know, I come in, I get rounds. I probably have anywhere between seven on a, I don't want to say the Q word, um, <laughs> on <laughs> one of those days, word, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and it, you know, it's a handful to, you know, I've had up to 32 patients in my ICU at once. Wow. Um, yeah. And you know, those, those patients can range anywhere from like a stable post-op, um, like orthopedic surgery, like a, a TPLO, you know, or they can be like septic abdomens or hit by car that need like constant, you know, monitoring, like, and, you know, I have 32 patients in there that can be anywhere from stable to very unstable. So, you know, we get rounds and then we have treatment sheets that lay out everybody's treatments for the day. Doctors do their exams and they'll kind of tweak the treatment sheets for the day. And the treatment sheets, guys, we've touched on those in previous episodes too. Those can also be referred to as orders. So they're directed and written out by the DVM. And then it's the technician's job to follow those out, understand what the treatments are for, what we're looking for with those treatments, and when to to notify a DVM at what points the patient has changes. Yep, absolutely. And for me in the ICU, um, I'm going to riff on this and then I'm going to come back to your actual question. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) Totally. Yeah. um, For me in the ICU, I think something that I think is really important too is, you know, you have those orders and you have those treatment sheets, but if you're looking through it and something doesn't look right to you, like absolutely talk to your doctor about it. Like 1000%, you know, there. So, sometimes I kind of get the feeling like, especially in social media, I'll see posts where people are like, well, my doctor did this and my doctor said that. And, you know, people don't realize that yes, your doctor's a doctor and yes, you are a technician, but that doesn't mean they're, unless they are your direct superior, they're not your superior. Like your coworkers, you are a part of a team and they rely, the doctors rely on you, you know, to be that person to pick up on mistakes, to pick up on something, or are you sure you really want this medication or, you know, but this dog has XYZ condition, wouldn't this be better? Like you, you have so much agency as an ICU tech and you really need to grab onto that and be confident and, and own it. 
Well, and I would like to expound on your riff here because, (laughs) because this is awesome, Maggie, this is a great thing for you to bring up because it's, it's not just an ICU tech thing. You are a technician. You've went to school. You've learned the whys behind everything that we're doing within veterinary medicine. So you're essentially like the doctor's backup. Doctors are only human. Doctors have lots and lots and lots of tabs open in their brain at any given time. I myself have worked in large animal medicine or mixed animal practice for the last several years. And I've had multiple incidents where I've had doctors awake on call the night before up all night with a patient and they relied heavily on me the next day to have my eyes and ears open for them because they need that extra support and, and they trust my judgment and my skills as a technician. So yes, doctors rely on you to use your technician brain and be their little backup guys. That is just incredibly important regardless of which corner of veterinary medicine that you're in. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. And, uh, another, I guess kind of the flip side of that coin too, going back to the communication is if you, if, if something happens and a mistake happens, make sure that you tell them, <laughs> Yeah, totally. you tell your doctor too. Cause yeah, oof, whew. you know, I, I, I am human and I have made mistakes and I think it really, you know, it, it kind of enforces that trust or like it helps them to trust you because they know that you're going to speak up. Yeah. And yeah, you screwed up and you're going to own up to it. And then we're going to fix whatever it is that happened. So I think that's, that's important too, is again, not to be afraid of open, direct, clear communication. Yeah. It's an integrity situation really. Mm-hmm. And honestly, we've mentioned multiple times throughout many episodes. If, if the clinic that you're at doesn't provide that safety for you, that is not the right place for you. So you need to be somewhere too, where you feel comfortable with that open and direct communication, because I know that, you know, some workplaces don't embrace that. They want you to come there, work, keep your mouth shut and do what you're told. So, mm-hmm. you know, make sure that you're at the right place to be able to have that open communication. Yep. Yep. So yeah, being in the ICU, that's kind of the biggest thing that I've had to learn is, is how to do that. Cause I've realized taking this life journey that I've been on for the past couple <laughs> years, I had no idea how to do that until I was like, I had to do it. And I'm like, yeah. Oh dang, I don't know what I'm doing. Communication is a learned skill for <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not easy and it's uncomfortable sometimes and yeah. that's okay. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So circling back to, (laughs) so how many staff do you have? You mentioned that sometimes there's, gosh, a really high number of patients in your ICU during the day. So how many other technicians are typically in there working with you? Um, On a daily basis on my shift, it's usually two of us that are like, quote, permanently assigned. You know, we'd have some folks that kind of float from department to department. So at our hospital, we have our ER ICU department. We have a surgery department and we have an internal medicine department and we are working on continuing to grow our departments and our, our family, basically long story short. Um, so there's a handful of people in each department and, you know, as much as we can, we try and help each other out, but just 
on my shift in the ICU, usually two of us. And then later in the day, we kind of stagger when more folks will come in and start their shifts. And so as the day goes on, we'll have, you know, maybe four and then I leave. And so then it's down to three. And so it it kind of, kind of varies on a day-to-day basis. And what does, so you mentioned a little bit about your shifts a little earlier in the episode here, you know, you come in, you do your rounds in the morning and then are you maybe like assigned certain patients within the ICU for that day or how does your day flow kind of go? Do you do discharges or how does, how does that look? Yeah, that's a great question. So for my part, this will be different for every hospital I've, I've realized. Yeah, um, but for, <laughs> for, for my hospital specifically, um, my priority is ICU. And so, you know, I'm not doing any discharges. I'm not doing any intakes or triages. You know, usually if depending on how much time I have, depending on my patient load, even getting patients set up to be hospitalized. So blood work, catheters, um, setting up IV fluids, x-rays, you know, all that stuff before they get kind of settled in. You know, I look to, you know, other staff members to to help with that if, you know, depending on my patient load. Yeah, you might um, be monitoring 25 patients. <laughs> That's already a lot of work. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we, we rely heavily on each other to, to help. And, you know, there's not really room for, well, that's not my department. That's not my job. You know, you, again, you have to prioritize what you're supposed to prioritize, but at the same time, we all have to work together to make sure things are getting done efficiently and appropriately and, and thoroughly. Yeah. Teamwork, another skill, not necessarily taught to you in school, but is very critical. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, what suggestions or tips do you have for techs who are just starting out in the ICU? I know we had some, you know, some great ones earlier that there's great support. Well, hopefully great support for most people who are starting out, but (laughs) any other suggestions or tips that you might have for, for techs who are just starting out, like carrying a notebook or what other personal tools, bandage scissors, you know, anything like that? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I started out my first like week, I started carrying a notebook and then it got lost and then that stopped, but (laughs) (laughs) that's kind of the story of my life. I lose things so much, but yeah, I would recommend equipment wise, get a little tiny notebook, um, bandage scissors, 100%. Absolutely. Carry your own stash of pens. We are mostly all digital, so all of our uh, treatment sheets are on iPads, but you're still going to need pens and Sharpies, et cetera. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Even if you think it is the dumbest question in the whole wide world, it, I promise you it's not. Um, you know, I, We've all been as, there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when, I've, when I've trained people in the ICU, you know, I always tell them, I would rather you ask me the same question like four times instead of never hearing the question and then something go wrong. Or, you know, I, I would be happy to repeat myself or, or whatever. It, it does get a little frustrating, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have that frustration than a patient be injured. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Don't be afraid to speak up, but, you know, be humble as well. I know a lot of people come into ER and they think, or, you know, they're like, oh, this, you know, this is the big time and I got this and I'm super confident and, you know, just, just, utilize the people that you have around you. There's always something that, that you might not know. You know, I had gone through school and now that I'm in ER, I am realizing there is so 
much left to learn. Like it is insane. The amount of stuff just tech school was, that was just the base. That was the foundation. Yeah. That was the tip of the iceberg veterinary mm -hmm. medicine. It's a learning experience from, from start to finish. Honestly, you, if you're not learning every day, you're not doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. I, uh, uh, just to throw this in, just to toot my own horn, toot, toot. I am actually starting on studying to have a VTS in emergency critical care. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So I'm working on, you know, reading and, and education and I'll start logging cases and doing like write-ups and and whatnot. And I was reading through some of the example write-ups on, on the website. Oh boy. (laughs) there is so much like I, um, so I guess all of this to say, you know, there's so much out there. There's so much to learn and, you know, be humble and be, be teachable, but you know, you, you got this, you are, they hired you for a reason. So, you know, you got it, but don't be afraid to ask questions. And the long way around of, we just kind of took the long way around here of, of saying, you know, you learn the base skills in tech school and everybody knows that everybody knows what you learn in tech school and their expectations are set there. So they're not going to expect you to come in on your very first day, fresh out of tech school and be able to run an ICU. So right. don't, don't even put that expectation on yourself, you know, that's, that's not realistic. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's an ever evolving learning process throughout your entire career. And just to clear up, if anybody has any questions about Maggie mentioned a VTS, it's a veterinary technician specialty. And there are very, there are several that veterinary technicians can go into. Most of them require you to be in whatever that corner of medicine is for at least five years. Am I right on the, I assume the ECR ICU is probably five years too. Yeah, Maggie? Um, The uh, emergency critical care is three years. It's three. Okay. So some of them vary. You'll have to look up the specifics for each one of them, but they all require extensive reading, extensive case knowledge. You have to turn in your own case logs and case write-ups, and then you have to take another exam to Mm -hmm. show that yes, I do know all of these things. So it is a very big undertaking. So glad to hear that you're doing that, Maggie. That is awesome. It just elevates a registered veterinary technician to a whole nother level. Best of luck to you on that journey. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, that sounds (laughs) super exciting. So what I want to kind of wrap up with today Mm -hmm. is talking about maybe the mental strength that's required to be an ICU technician. So to maybe bring the mood down half a step, and I apologize for that, not everybody goes home from the ICU. And Mm -hmm. so tell me how that goes for you or, or how that looks for an ICU technician to probably constantly have to deal with losing a patient. Yeah, it can be very draining. I have kind of, so the thing I think that the most frustrating part of it is sometimes you have a patient that you spend, you know, a ton of time with days on end working with this patient. And then, you know, they end up 
passing away or being euthanized and and that that hurts i mean obviously it hurts but you know you've spent so much time getting to know this patient you've maybe seen them getting a little bit better and sometimes it comes down to owner finances which is in an ideal world yeah in an ideal world that wouldn't be a factor but unfortunately the truth of it 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 is and so you know we'll lose patients that we have worked very hard to to save i think a lot of times though when people are reaching that point when they have to make that decision to let their pet go you know again it's it's never easy but i think just the fact that that i personally see them on a daily basis and and they're in pain and they are sick and they don't feel good you know there are definitely cases where i'm like this i don't disagree with that decision to to give them that mercy to let them you know pass peacefully instead of yeah. continuing to in some to cases hurt. it's truly the kindest thing that we can do Absolutely. But I've definitely had cases where, you know, I, I, I'll cry with owners when they cry that I'm a sympathetic crier. I cry all the time anyway, but (laughs) I'll, you know, I'll cry with owners when they're upset. Most of the time though, I'm, I'm pretty kind of collected when I have to be, you know, I can turn it on when I need to turn it on. And then I go home and just have a big cry in the shower. (laughs) Yeah. Snuggle um, your kitties or oh yes, pet my cat. Look at my cat from across the room. She doesn't really like to be pet that much. <laughs> so I think it it takes a lot of I don't know. It's it's an interesting balance between compassion and and like compartmentalizing. I don't know if that's the right word, but just that's being, a good word. Yeah, like being able to keep doing what you have to do in the moment. But then you also, it's also really important that you feel those feelings and you let those feelings out at some point. Maybe not, you know, maybe you have to wait till the end of your shift. Great. Sometimes you just have to stop and take a second and go cry in the bathroom or go cry in the CT hallway or wherever it is that, you know, it takes a lot of stopping and, and thinking to like, why am I doing this? Why am I putting myself in this position, but you remember like you're doing it because you, you do it for those cases where you see that dog walk out of there wagging its tail. You know, you do it for those cases when you get that sweet thank you card from the owners and the box of donuts. That's why you keep doing it and get a little choked up a client gave me a, a painted rock set uh, a few days ago for helping take care of her horse. So Aww. anyway, yeah, but you're totally right. That's, that's why we do it. Cause now those little painted ladybug rocks are super important to me. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, and I would encourage healthy outlets too, guys. So Maggie mentions, you know, making sure that you have those outlets, feeling your feels. That is great advice. Make sure that they're healthy outlets though. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I like to wrap up the episodes with tech tips. So I like my guest speakers to leave any great advice or life-changing hacks that you've learned along the way that have really made your career easier. Got any? Yeah. My number one tech tip is take a break. That's a good one. (laughs) That's a recommendation for all technicians new and old. (laughs) Take a break. Take your lunch break, even if it's just to sit down for 10 minutes outside you know, I work 10 hour shifts and we are supposed to have a 30 minute lunch break. And that does not happen often, but take that time to step away, take a break, 
So many of us are so obsessed with that culture of, well, everyone else is staying late or everyone else is working through lunch, then I need to also. No, you don't. Take a break. Eat your food. Take a vacation. If you have PTO, take some time. Like if you can, you, you can't, (laughs) you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to take care of yourself before you can take care of other, of others, of other people, of your patients, whatever it is. So just everybody just take a break, take a deep breath. Yeah. It's going to be fine. And the building is not going to burn down without you. I promise. Yeah. We are really bad as a culture. I, I think as technicians, just in general, none of us ever want to take breaks. We never want to eat our lunches. Mm-mm. We never want to go home on time. So yes, that is an awesome reminder slash tip to take your breaks. Yeah. Put some glucose in your brain. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it will help it work better. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that wraps us up for this episode today. Maggie, did you have anything else you'd like to touch on and bring up about being an ICU technician before we go? Um, it's definitely the hardest thing I've ever done, but it's also the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And I am very proud. <laughs> I I am sure. Yeah. Kudos to you, girl. That That is definitely a turn it up to 10 job being an ICU technician for sure. So thank you so much for joining us today, Maggie. It was a pleasure having you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I loved it. Well, you can catch me at Kendra, the vet tech on Facebook and Instagram. If you guys have any questions or any follow-up ideas or questions you'd like for future podcast episodes, I can also be reached at Kendra, the vet tech at gmail.com. Thanks guys. 